everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Theology Without the Bullshit. Tonight is going to be a unique episode because Paul Capitz is not able to join us, but I figured I would try to provide some content at least since we were uh, gone for a month and uh, I was on vacation. And so I just want to put a warning out to all of our listeners if you're expecting the deep, uh, sophisticated content that uh, you're used to by virtue of having the Reverend Dr. Paul Capitz with us, as he normally is, this might not be the episode for you because what I want to do today is to wing it and see where we go. I have a couple things I want to talk about, and I thought it would be interesting just to uh, post a solo episode for all of our listeners who might be interested in getting to know me a little better and have some insight into some of the things that are driving the podcast and some of the things that undergird my uh, desire for theology um, and my appreciation for uh, the conversation about theology. So with that being said, um, I just want to say I have no idea really what I'm doing here. I'm talking to myself all night, which is going to be a little bit of a new experience for me. And so we're just going to see what happens. Uh, Worst case scenario, I'll just delete this and never post it. So if you're listening to this, something must have gone right, which is why I posted it. With that being said, um, I kind of want to talk about the content of theology. You know, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about why we're doing the podcast, and Paul and I talked about what is theology, and we we took the the approach of his mentor, Schubert Ogden, to talk about um, the, the task of doing theology um, from that standpoint. But tonight I want to inject a little bit of my opinion on the content of good theology, because at the root of all of this is the title of the podcast, Theology Without the Bullshit. And so for me, I think it's important to make a distinction between what I would recognize as bullshit theology versus uh, what others might recognize as sound theology. And I think for me, the the distinction there is the content of theology. And so we're going to get to that uh, shortly. But if you'll recall from that first episode, if you had the chance to listen to it, we talked about the reasons why I decide to do the podcast. And keep in mind that all of this has come about from my time with Paul Capitz. He really helped shape my understanding of the history of theology and gave me new terms and concepts to interpret uh, theology and try to incorporate it into my life. But I've always been left with existential angst, even from a young age. And what's interesting about that is even when I had faith, I had existentialist angst from a young age. And even today, as an agnostic trying to reclaim my faith, I'm left with even deeper existential anxiety. So there's almost a common thread. Well, there certainly is a common thread from being young and being afraid to being an adult and being afraid. So tonight I want to be a little vulnerable and talk about that fear. I have a feeling that there are a lot of people in the ministry who are wrestling perhaps with doubt, uncertainty, fear, despite being religious individuals and despite preaching the gospel. And so I wanted to to bring up some of my beliefs on that subject as somebody who's wrestling to reclaim their faith and wrestling to 
feel God in my life. Really, that's what it comes down to. I mean, a lot of people probably have this vision of agnostics as individuals who are on the fence and don't know either way, but haven't really took a deep dive or haven't had any religious experiences and uh, haven't been able to make up their mind either way. And for me, that's definitely not the case. I mean, I was religious from a young age. I had some profound experiences in the church. uh, And even from time to time have some profound religious experiences in my adult life, yet I'm still unable to believe in God. I I want to believe in God, and I hope God exists. And so I kind of want to explore that and talk about uh, all of my beliefs, um, well, not all of them, but, you know, some of them as it relates to the content of theology. And so I think if we go back to a young age, you know, I remember being four years old, in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and I would go into the bathroom because I was terrified and felt all alone and nobody was awake. And I was just confronted by this deep solitude. And I would go into the bathroom and turn the light on and sit in the bathroom alone because the light made it feel like daytime. And I could sit there and and feel as though I wasn't the only person in the world. Yet I, I, I kind of did feel like I was, you know, I was trying to find some way to feel like it was daytime and everyone was awake, but nobody was. And so I just remember feeling a lot of fear about that, you know, about nighttime and, and being alone when everyone was asleep. And then I went through this weird existentialist phase where I was mortified by death at five years old. My mother, God bless her, she, she had to put up with so many questions. I would ask her, mom, what would happen if I fell on a sand burr and it went into my stomach and then uh, I didn't feel well. And that was after she put me to bed and I was yelling from the top of the stairs and she's like, you would be fine. Don't worry about it. And there was this line of questioning that went on for weeks. And finally, uh, finally, I I was in the car and I asked her like, mom, what happened? What would happen if I started coughing up blood and I couldn't stop? And you could tell she was at wit's end. And she's like, well, honey, I guess we just have to put a white blanket over your head and kiss you goodbye. <laughs> and I know it sounds callous, but you'd have to understand my mother's sense of humor to get why that was just the best response. And I remember feeling a little sad for one second, but then we both started laughing. And honestly, that was the end of it. That little injection of humor into my existentialist angst at five, year old, uh, five years old was enough for for me to move on from that. And so... Uh, all was fine and well. And then uh, about eight years old, I started to contemplate the concept of infinity. And I I would wake up in the middle of the night. And of course, I was going to church and Sunday school. And, you know, they had the old talking track of you're going to go to heaven, you're going to live forever, everything's going to be okay. And I started to think about forever. And so I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I would be confronted by this overwhelming sense of anxiety because forever was forever, right? I mean, it, it's, it lasts for, for forever. And I started to think of a circle that never ended and kept going on and on. And here I am thinking, okay, so when I die, life ends, but then I have to go to heaven forever. And yeah, it's great, but it's forever. It never ends. And I started to really comprehend the incomprehensible perhaps I don't know I mean I can't even I can't even begin to describe the anxiety that I had at the thought of existing forever and the thought of infinity and so as I wrestled with that I would just say my prayers and say God I don't know what 
I should do to confront this this fear and I don't know the answers to whatever I'm feeling but just I hope that everything's going to be okay and I went on with that line of thinking and then at 10 years old my dad died and you can imagine as somebody who was already existentialist <laughs> to, to say the least by that age it set me kind of into an uncharted territory where I was confronting grief and loss and my mom used the analogy I remember we were at the funeral and she's like well you know Derek I just want you to know it was an open casket funeral so it was very kind of haunting really I mean it still kind of affects me to this day but you know your dad's gone and he is in a better place and what you're seeing right now is a candy wrapper but the candy bar is missing and so that was a way for me to kind of conceptualize what we've talked about in the podcast is the whole body soul distinction so in my 10 year old mind my mom gave me that framework by talking about a candy bar wrapper versus a candy bar and so after that point I really started to cling to my faith because I think when you're in a topspin and when your life is kind of overturned and everything you understood about reality has been, you know, altered in such a way that life forever has has been changed, I grabbed on to the only thing that made sense and that was my faith. And so from 10 years old, I wanted to be a minister and I started going to church a lot well, not a lot more, but I started becoming more active in the church. And so I would go to Sunday um, sermons in place of Sunday school. And then when I was 12 years old, I wanted to give the sermon. And so luckily I was at a church that really, you know, prompted or sort of supported that behavior. And I ended up giving the sermon a couple times and, and felt so happy and purpose-driven when giving a sermon at 12 years old, then I thought that, wow, this is really what I should be doing with my life. I mean, maybe my life needs to be geared towards this ultimate reality where we're talking about things that affect our lives and the impact that, that death has on our lives and that faith can do to restore us in moments of grief. And so I went down that path and I was always super religious and then it happened in high school where I fell into the, I would say, more evangel uh, evangelical crowd. So I started going to a Bible study where people were super uh, devout and pretty, uh, well, you know, evangelical. You know how that goes, speaking in tongues and the whole, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell, somewhat fire and brimstone and, you know, for somebody who was a seeker like me, having those answers and having that certainty about what came about after death was something that really made things a lot easier for me. I mean, when you're kind of spiritual and in a church that's more progressive and liberal, making a shift to something as fundamental or certain as that sort of evangelical viewpoint is gave me answers that I didn't have and and so I, I went that route and it was fulfilling and I won't say there weren't questions that came up 
Because there certainly were. I mean, I was getting answers to questions like, okay, well, what if I was born somewhere else um, and I was a Muslim? Um, how does God, uh, you know, how, how, how does God let children die of cancer? And like there are some of these questions that came up and there was always an answer for it. I remember one answer was, well, you know, life is just a, a mark. Somebody gave me an analogy once. They said, well, you know, life is, imagine a shoestring that keeps going on in both directions, a shoelace that goes on in both directions. And then you take a red marker and put a dot right on that shoestring. That's what life is. Life is a dot on this this infinite shoestring, and yeah, there might be suffering, and yeah, there might be, you know, atrocities and all these things that are horrible, but it's only temporary, and um, it's really nothing in the grand scheme of things uh, when talking about heaven and eternity and salvation. And so I kind of bought that for a little bit, and I wrestled with that, and I chewed on that, and I started to think about, okay, well, what about uh, people who aren't Christians? Well, you know, that's why we have missionaries, and that's why we reach out to people through our missions trips, etc., and we want to bring as many people to Jesus as we can, because Jesus is our Savior, and I was like, okay, all right, so I started to think about that, and then, then the facade started to crumble, because... All of a sudden, I was meeting foreign exchange students, and I talked about this in the first episode as well. You know, I met the foreign exchange students in my high school who were wonderful people who were volunteering in nursing homes and volunteering in their communities and were super excited to learn about American culture and knew a lot about... I mean, to be honest, I was a terrible math student. I was a terrible student in high school, and these people were brilliant, and I found myself enamored with how smart they were and how cultured they were, and they could speak multiple languages, and they just knew so much more than I did. And then I asked my Bible study leader, well, so, you know, these people aren't Christians because, you know, all of them were either atheist or agnostic. I had one Muslim friend, and I was like you know, what if I was born in Switzerland? Or what if I was born in France? Or you know, what if I didn't have the experiences that I did here that gave me my Christian framework, and yet I'm saved and they're not? And it started to crumble. The facade started to crumble, and they told me that they're going to hell. And I was like, that just doesn't seem like the actions of a loving God. I mean what type of infinite loving being would condemn people to an eternity of punishment for finite consequences? That would be like if if I, you know, when I got grounded in high school, I remember once I went egging in high school and my mom grounded me for two weeks. And uh, it would be like if uh, I went up to my mom after egging and said, Mom, I'm, I am sorry, um... But uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and she says, well, you know what? You're grounded for uh, forever. <laughs> and you have to go to your room forever. It just doesn't make sense. Like, what type of loving God would do that? And so anyways, it just it just crumbled from there. And of course, I, I mentioned this as well. I studied abroad and I went to college. And, you know, maybe it's just being in touch with people from different perspectives and different walks of life where, you know, I think a lot of people who have truly devout and fire and brimstone sort of perspectives are those people who haven't had a lot of exposure to other cultures and other ideas. And 
So from there, um, I was kind of in a tailspin. I wanted to reclaim my faith because I felt it crumbling. The facade started to crumble, and I decided after my undergraduate degree to go to seminary. And so I went to seminary, and the more I learned about historical theology, the more I saw the human component or the sociological elements therein where we see cultures of people who are wrestling with interpreting reality because at the end of the day that's what we're all doing we're interpreting reality and i hear these these biblical passages that are stories preserved through time and religious experiences felt by all the people who had the notion to write about their experiences which later became canonized in the bible and that historical sort of historical critical approach to understanding theology was sort of the last straw that broke the broke the house down or bro- broke the camel's back i mean it's kind of ironic that i went to seminary and became more distanced from my faith but seminary gave me tools for interpreting reality and and a framework for understanding the bible and i feel like though i became further distanced from my faith it helped me understand it more comprehensively and so given that experience here i am still passionate about theology and talking with my former professor about theology because I think it matters. And there's something almost paradoxical about the fact that I'm an agnostic, but just totally geared towards theology. And so with that, I want to talk about the content of theology because I think there is one specific quote that shapes everything I believe in um shapes everything uh, in terms of how I think about theology. And it comes out of the Holocaust. There's a lot of trauma, obviously, and and, and atrocious, heinous acts against humanity that came from there. But there's a rabbi whose name is Rabbi Irvin Greenberg. And he says about theology that no statement, theological or otherwise, should ever be stated that wouldn't have credibility in the presence of burning children. And when I think about that, when I unpack that, that means that anything that you say about God or anything that you say related to theology has to matter and it has to mean something to everyone and specifically to those who are suffering the most unimaginable trauma and unimaginable horrors. Even those who are being gassed in the gas chambers are being burnt alive by the Nazis. And so when I hear people say things like, oh, it's God's will that you go through this, or I've been praying for you. You know, all of those things I know come from a good place because we as human beings try to empathize and we try to relate to each other. And so we use our faith to understand reality and try to relate to other people. And so when we don't know what to say, we say things like, I've been praying for you, or it's God's will that you are going through this. But I think that's a cop-out. I think that's not something that would have credibility in the presence of burning children. And so this really gets us to a concept that we're going to be talking about in future episodes when Paul and I break from the the history of theology to the theological concepts that... um, 
undergird theology. So salvation is an example, or theodicy in this case. Um, how does a loving God allow evil in the world? And I know this question comes up so frequently um, in conversations that I have with uh, religious people, but it also comes up frequently throughout history. If you're going to make a claim about an all-loving God, you have to reconcile the fact that this loving God has created a world where there is suffering. And so we've obviously talked about, you know, sin and the human condition uh, of of sin and, and how human decisions can impact people's lives. And I think there is something to be said for that. There's a lot of a lot of people who believe that if we were just better to one another, so many of the bad things in the world wouldn't happen. And that's absolutely true. But when we talk about other things like natural disasters or cancer or some things that are just a part of the natural world that has no bearing on human behavior, it makes you question how does God let a little child get cancer? Or how does God let natural disasters take innocent lives from from the world? And... At some point, you have to place God on the hook for some of these things. And so there's there's a school of thought about that concept. Uh, we talk about process theology uh, in theological circles, and there are different beliefs about process theology. Uh, and I honestly, I'm not an expert on it. I'm not well-versed in it, but I think my understanding of process theology to some degree is that God suffers along with us. And so if you're going to say that God allows human suffering in the world to occur, then the only way that he can start to be off the hook, in my opinion, is if he is suffering with us. But more than that, and this is where it gets kind of radical and I go one step further, and I think I mentioned this book in an earlier episode, I read uh, in seminary called The Weakness of God, which talks about the fact that maybe God isn't able to prevent these things from happening. And it seems like a reasonable response to the question of how does God allow terrible things to happen. In my mind, one of the only things that takes him off the hook is if he's incapable of preventing them from happening. But that creates a contradiction with our whole all-powerful God, because if God is so powerful, then he should be able to stop it, but doesn't. And this kind of altered my understanding of how we conceptualize God to say that maybe God isn't all-powerful. Uh, maybe there are limitations to what God can do. And if you open up that can of worms, you can go down uh, a number of different paths. But I remember somebody presented me with a paradox when I was in high school, and they're like, all right. Yeah, I think he was, I don't know, he's one of those kids in high school who was sort of countercultural and wanted to challenge all the the Bible thumpers and stuff. And he said, hey, Derek, if God is all powerful, could he ever create a rock that he couldn't lift? And I thought about that and I was like, wait a second. But, you know, when you think about that, if God is all powerful, could he ever create a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it? And that is to say... Could God do anything uh, in his power that would undermine his own power? And maybe that's possible. What if when he created the world and humanity, he created some mechanisms that went beyond his own power to control? And so 
that's kind of how I approach the question of theodicy. And so when we talk about the content of theology, and this is not going to be a full in-depth exploration of the content of theology because there are so many categories. We can talk about salvation. We can talk about forgiveness, redemption. We can talk about, you know, theodicy like we're talking about now. And so, you know, we can't go into all these things tonight, and I don't want to bore you with what I'm saying. I've already been talking for 25 minutes, and I cannot believe that. But I think my takeaway here is when we talk about the content of theology, I think always in the back of my mind is that quote from that rabbi where, listen, we're dealing with people's lives here, and we're dealing with people sometimes when they're at wit's end, sometimes when they're in the most unimaginable agony, sometimes when they're in the the depths of human despair caused by human beings. And we need to be equipped as faith leaders, as theological thinkers, as believers to be able to address people where they're at. And so faith and religion need to meet people and find people where they're at. And so I think for me, the content of theology has to be relevant and relational. And so these aren't novel ideas. Maybe I'm saying things that you've heard a thousand times before, and for that I'm sorry. I really am just spitfiring here. But at the very least, my my hope is that when listening to this podcast, when listening to the historical side of theology, you can have a framework for understanding why it is Christians believe what they believe, And then take that into your own life and think about theology in a new way. I hope it reinvigorates, refreshes, bolsters your your theology. But then when we pivot to the content of theology and the theological concepts and how to think theologically based on that first episode, you take all these things holistically, and I hope you can walk away from listening to these episodes in a way that, that... allows you to ultimately meet people where they're at. Because I think the true goal of being a religious leader and being a theologian or being a believer is to relate with one another, to connect with people, to to meet people where they're at. And so at the end of this, I hope that's what we can provide for you. And I know Paul is is such a marvelous thinker. Um, we're going to be bringing up his book next week. Um, he has a book called "A Brief uh, God, A Brief History. And so we'll go into more detail about that. But it basically outlines everything we're talking about here from a historical standpoint. But Paul has had some amazing life experiences and has been in contact with some amazing theologians and has amazing mentors. And so when we go further into this vein of theology... I really think you you all will be um, pretty pretty impressed with with where we land. So keep listening, uh, and we appreciate you listening. One thing I'd like to ask is for all of our listeners to post on our Facebook page. You know, we want to have questions from you. We want to hear your thoughts about the podcast, and we want to hear your ideas. I mean, I checked the the podcast stats every week to see where we have listeners. And I'm always surprised uh, um, by where uh, all of our listeners are. I mean, we have listeners across the U.S. I've seen listeners in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, in Europe. I mean, I'm not saying we have a ton of listeners. We've done no advertising, so I don't expect that we have a ton of listeners. But what I'm impressed by is in which countries we're, we're being heard and we're being listened 
too. And so if you're in, um, well, wherever you're at, let us know where you're at, what you like about our podcast, and give us any insight or feedback that you have. I mean, it is we're doing this for you, and I would love for this to be very interactional or interactive, and uh, I look forward to hearing that insight. So before I end my rambling here, uh, as I've gone on for about a half an hour, uh, I just want to wrap up by talking about Christian agnosticism, which is a term I made up, I think. I don't know. Um, it's something that I use to describe myself. I'm a agnostic Christian, and that seems pretty contradictory. Uh, I'll grant that, because if one is a Christian, it means that they are beholden to a set of tenets, and they are holden, beholden to uh, a set of beliefs. And for me, I would say that my agnosticism is defined by my Christian tradition and upbringing and informed by my knowledge about Christianity. And for me, agnosticism is the only reasonable place that I can arrive at. And so there are a lot of people who who think agnostics are sinners, uh, well, sinners, but uh, heathens, and are going to hell because they don't affirm the beliefs that would save a person, etc. But for me, when I think about what it means to to believe, I have to be honest intellectually and say, I don't know whether God exists or not. I mean, there are tons of people who, who will say they believe in God and they know God exists, etc. But I think we're all in the same boat here where we don't know whether God exists or not. We Some of us believe God exists. But for me, I can't even go that far. I don't, I'm not able to affirm a belief in God, but I hope God exists. Because for me, the only way that life can be meaningful is if there is a God, and if this life doesn't end in death, and that's it, lights out. But that there is something beyond the veil, something beyond this existence that is worthy of hope. And so one of the, one of the things that I try to do is find out as much as I can about human beings, about humanity, about other faiths, and use my Christian background to give me a conceptual framework through which to interpret reality. And so I think it comes down to having the categories that I was mentioning about salvation, redemption, forgiveness, uh, etc., to, to interpret reality through. And then I move forward through that framework and try to make sense of what science is telling me and what the existence is telling me. You know, when we talk about the universe in science, we talk about the ever-expanding nature of the universe that eventually is going to collapse in on itself. Because after the Great Bang, matter has uh, exploded and is progressing outwards over billions of years and here we are one rock in a solar system in a galaxy in a universe and what's so bewildering to me is that there are a hundred billion stars in our galaxy alone and there are a hundred billion galaxies in the observable universe and that's just what's observable 
And here I am on one rock in one solar system around one star, wrestling with all of these questions, all of this uncertainty, trying to understand what's good theology, what's bad theology, what's it all about, what's the meaning of life, what happens when we die, trying to make sense of this all through my faculties, the five senses. And I just have to admit that I am so infinitesimally small in the grand scheme of things and to think that my five senses can perceive all of objective reality is just outlandish and absurd i can't do it and so i approach all of this from that open-minded perspective to say you know what i don't know if god exists i don't know what happens when i die and nobody really does do i believe god exists not necessarily. Do I hope God exists? Absolutely. Because if not, I'm just one speck on a speck on a speck in the grand scheme of the infinitesimal cosmos, hoping that this all means something. Um, and it might not, but I don't know. And so theology gives me tools to cultivate hope. And I want to share that hope with everyone that I come into contact with. So if that's meeting people wherever they're at, from whatever faith perspective or faith tradition they have, then that's what I want to do. And so Christian agnosticism to me is the affirmation that I don't know what's true. I recognize my small place in the universe. And yet I hope that what the Bible says about God and about love and forgiveness is true. And that there is some sort of ultimate reality that undergirds this existence such that I have something to hope for and that I'm going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, I want that assurance and I want to know that I'm going to be okay. So with that being said, I will just say that I find myself confronted by two paradoxes that contribute to my existential angst despite that hope. Because for me, it's always about hope and fear, and they're held in constant tension. And my fear stems from these two paradoxes. One is that I don't have all the answers, and I am afraid of what I don't know. Yet, if I had the answers, I would be equally afraid because perhaps I wouldn't like the answers. I mean, what if you knew all the answers? What if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, hey, here's all the answers about life? That would be kind of terrifying because then there's no mystery, there's no uncertainty, and everything is known. So I have to live with the tension between wanting answers, but also not wanting answers. And it's, it's a little frustrating, but uh, that's just kind of how it is. But the other paradox is regarding what I was talk, uh, talking about earlier about infinity. I find myself confronted by the fear of death. And what that means. And the fact that I'm going to die is inevitable. And I have to face that. And I have to confront that. Yet, the thought of existing forever and ever and ever without end gives me the same amount of fear and terror. So, it's sort of a rock in a hard place there because I want it. I want to not die, but I want to not live forever. So I'm wrestling with those two paradoxes while realizing that I am 
just another human being on this planet who is passionate about theology and try to express hope in all that I do, try to engage with people, try to come at my conversations and interactions from a place of love and empathy, and keep posing questions and keep keep struggling to to make sense of what this is all about. And so at the end of all this, this is sort of to say that Christian agnosticism is really the only place that I find myself intellectually honest and open while still clinging to my Christian tradition and trying to reach people where they're at and trying to, at the end of the day, when we talk about the content of theology, it has to be credible in the presence of burning children, to use the quote that I just used. So moving forward uh, throughout this podcast, after we move from the history of theology, we're going to start going into some of these theological categories. So stay tuned with us. Keep wrestling with these questions and wrestling to to understand uh, some of these nuanced philosophical distinctions about theology because eventually it's going to come together in a way that I think might be more accessible. Uh, So I want to thank you for listening. This was probably not what you would have expected to hear uh, given everything that we've recorded up until this point, but I appreciate you listening and tuning in every week. And please, please, please respond to us on Facebook with you know, maybe some insight as to where you're at listening to our pad- podcast, why, why you're listening to our podcast, and any ideas you have or any suggestions you have about how we can provide you content that's going to reach you where you're at. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Paul will be back with us next week, and we wish you a wonderful uh, week ahead, and take care. Thanks for listening to Theology Without the Bullshit with just Derek Malott tonight. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.